Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this second of a two-part series, learn about the technology challenges on the border, such as the need for hybrid connectivity, enhanced tactical communications, and edge computing. And hear how industry is working with CBP to rapidly deliver advanced technologies and new capabilities to border agents. Featuring Luke McCormick, former DHS CIO, Jan Schmickel from CBP's Office of Information and Technology, Bogdan Fursina, founder of DeGero, Mark Olson, Homeland Security Lead at Periton, Eric Reese from the CBP Innovation Team, and Michael Hardy, Red Hat's Chief Architect for Law Enforcement and Justice. This discussion took place at the annual HSDF Border Security Symposium in Washington, D.C. on December 12, 2023. Eric, I'm wondering about how these requirements are coming in. You all are taking said requirements. You're putting together some rapid prototypes. Perhaps you're using some non-FAR capability in OTA. Uh, looks great. You get the technology inserted. You've been working with Sans Group. What happens next? Does does an RFP come out on the street to supersize this thing into every Border Patrol station? Or how does that flow work? Assuming that you're looking at technology that you're looking to scale across the the agency. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? So when we look at our project lifecycle, and we're we're working with industry and we're working with the field. Um, we've got partnerships up at the headquarters. You know, we're working with OIT and, and Dr. Smickle often um, at the hip for compliance and, and you know, security and an integration stand, stand, standpoint. Um, but, you know, when we're out there and we're doing a deployment um, and things are, are working well, it's looking that the te- technology is making an impact to operations. Um, you know, there's there's a part where we need to evaluate, um, you know, what, what is the ability to scale this beyond low rate, you know, production, right? Beyond um, this one geographical area, uh, you know, uh, we heard mentioned earlier, you need to have an architecture of this network. Like, what does it look like? Well, that's going to be different from one station, one sector to another. You've been to one sector, you've been to one sector, um, in the, in the border environment. So, um, there's a lot of variables at place, but specifically related to that application. Um, but overall it's really based on the feedback that we're receiving, um, the ability of the vendor to listen, uh, to the folks on the ground to make some of those adjustments, modifications. And if things are working well, what our team does specifically is we have to have a transition owner. We have to have a business owner. That means, you know, when we receive our appropriations and funding and we fund the entire initial deployment, uh, we're also looking at getting us through that, what we call the valley of death. Um, that part where we need to help the transition owner take this capability and incorporate it into their program of record, into our system of record. And so we fund two years of operations and sustainment. If things are working well, we have a desire from the field, we have a desire from the uh, portfolio that's taking on this capability, and that helps as well the vendors and the, and the companies help to continue to uh, produce um, this capability. 
uh, so that we can roll it out and we can actually scale it well across uh, the CBP enterprise. So I, I guess uh, the results of the pilot, the prototype, get handed over to, we'll say operations, but operations typically, if I recall, is is not going to actually do the solicitation. I would assume it's, uh, in CBP's case, OIT, that would then carry it from there and 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 put out some sort of a uh, a solicitation for a nationwide rollout is that typically how that would work is that sort of the expectation well it really it really depends on um with, with that particular use case right like oit and invent we're 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 involved that entire process through right. that life cycle um i'm referring to a time where you've already identified right particular vendors that are providing their solutions to that space, to that very specific uh, solicitation. Uh, a request for a proposal or you know, solicitation, that can come out from the business owner. They can push that. Mm-hmm. We could push that. DHSS and T can push that. Um, so there's various different programmatic offices and, and components within CVP and even DHS um, that, that can do that. Um, okay. Uh, so it, it really does depend. Let's bring it down, not quite to bare metal, but we're going to bring it a little further down. Is there any, uh, current activity going on in regards to any kind of iteration evolution of the TACCOM radio is, is the, does the TACCOM radio potentially get uh, usurped by a smartphone someday and all of this capability, including local compute and maybe a little bit of AI and everything else, end up on a phone? Uh, or does it happen uh, in, in reverse? And then sort of layered on top of that, is there any accounting going on for the comps piece of this thing? Hey, we can make the most magical device and put it on the officer's hip and it would be fantastic if he's in the building up at, uh, you know, the Ronald Reagan building um, versus in Lukeville. So um, let's start with just, is there any active projects underway in the Petri dish to talk about sort of the evolution of the smart device? Sure. You want me to start? Yeah, please. Or anybody. Yeah. Uh, But let's start with you and then let's, let's have the industry sort of weigh in on, are you all looking at this? Have you thought about it? Have you done it for other customers? But please, yeah, Eric. Yeah. So, you know, when we're talking about communications, um, you know, there's different modalities There's voice communication, there's data, right? So in a lot of ways, when an operator is carrying around a phone and a lot of ways it's a map with dots on it um, that you can, of course you can text, you can chat and you can call if there's LTE. Um, but getting situational awareness on where you are in time and space, as well as where other people are in time and space is extremely important. Um, not taken away from mission critical voice. Uh, that is also extremely uh, imperative um, for, for border security operations. So, um, our particular uh, invent is not particularly in r- right now with a project to do voice um, on one device, but I know I, I know there are programmatic offices that are looking at that. Um, it's a difficult challenge. It's a difficult challenge to try to incorporate everything in one device in your phone, right? To do voice, to do encrypted voice, to do 
data communications and, and whatnot. So um, just a little insight there. And, and, and we do see multimodal communications as extremely important. Um, and we do need to start looking at like future state. What does, what does an agent, what does an operator carry around in order to communicate with the world around them, with, with folks that they're working with um, and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, I think it's still a little bit, a little bit of a ways out, but there are a couple initial efforts that are underway that not too privy about right now, but um, we, we do yeah. see, we do see some progress in that, in that environment. Sure. What, what is he carrying around versus what is he actually using? Uh, sometimes two different things uh, oftentimes are most commonly using. I'm going to ask the industry to weigh in on any of that if they'd like to, and then we're going to go to questions. Any thoughts from the industry on that? I mean, just kind of building on some of that. I mean, that, that, again, you look at the geographic locations, the complexities, back to what is being communicated, voice, data, video. It, it's also <clears throat> what, what what's the need right there and how much of that needs to actually get reach back versus, it, it, you know, so and how do you do that, right? I mean, for it, it's refreshing to hear is, as we're thinking about, at least in our space, where our investments are going to go for our own IRADs, right? Where we're going to do our internal research into how much of that is how future looking versus in the next zero to 18 months, right? And, and as we think about the communication side of this, you, know, you, you see it out there, you see Starlink popping up, but what are the SLAs with that, right? I mean, it's, it's neat, but is, is, is that going to be something that's going to actually, one, hit the bandwidth needs that you need? And with all of the different sensors that are now out there and reporting back, for us as, as, as industry, how are we going to look at what's that right hybrid approach, not only a hybrid compute approach, but a hybrid kind of network comms approach that's going to be able to make sure that device is doing the right thing at the right time for the communication and, and how do we integrate with what's already in place today. And whether that's a radio, a mobile device, don't have the answer for that, but those are the things that we're trying to look at to think about how do you actually get most efficient communications in there, um, not only near term, but in that longer term horizon. No Please. Yeah, that's, and, uh, sorry. Let me, let me just jump on that real quick, too. Um, sensor integration is also really key and important. There's a lot of different existing technologies already out there. How do we continue to modernize and integrate with the existing uh, systems that we currently have deployed, right? And so, um, as was just mentioned, one geographical area may have existing technology. That's going to require a different bandwidth um, standard, right, or a requirement. Um, they may not need voice. They may need sensor integration and low bandwidth mesh radios to, to communicate. And so it really depends across the different border environment how to uh, find a tailor-made solution. Son, you wanted to weigh in? Yeah. So uh, one thing that I also wanted to raise is um, it's not just about um, it's a very good uh, observation about you know uh, bandwidth and then latency and things like that, but um, on the front line, our uh, border patrol and field officers usually um, either carry a weapon, either either carry something different. So I think the uh, the device, the comm device, has to take into into effect the, the form factor, right? It cannot be too bulky. It cannot it has to be functional, useful, but yet easy to be operated, perhaps with one hand instead of uh, you know I use my two hands on my phone, but um, field officer or particularly border patrol agent usually have a gun on, on the on, on yeah. one hand and, yeah. and or maybe and, they have gloves on yeah right and, yeah so the form factor is is, is somewhat in, in, you know um important uh, in, 
I mean, I, I feel like, you know, the comms is very good. You press and you talk and then it's group talking, right? Instead of like, you have to dial one by one on your cell phone and then to get like a group of people talking together. So a lot of these things, it's, it's uh, in, in emergency, for example, um, two-way calm, for two-way radio, right? You press and then you immediately talk and then you talk to 10 different people, right? On the same wavelength versus, you know, a cell phone, it does a lot more, but it requires you to do a lot more to communicate to a it group of people. to pay for that. Yeah. yeah. So, so I find this problem exists everywhere. Whether it's DHS, state and local law enforcement, uh, statewide networks, and we're dealing with various government agencies, federally and, and state and local, uh, where what's happening is this convergence of LMR yeah. with broadband. And the challenge is the broadband demands are in such a way that LMR can never satisfy. It is impossible. But at the same time, the broadband capabilities are really powerful for the users. They need them both. So it's, it's, it's a challenge of how do you augment LMR in a way to provide as much broadband as possible, if that makes sense. Now, making that in one device, there's people that are trying this. I mean, Morola has put together the, the, the APX, whatever, 9500 or whatever it is, that's got an Android phone on the back of a, of a, rate, of a brick radio that's on your, it's on your hip. Um, it's heavier. It has significant amount of cost to saturate. There's, there's lots of things that go with it, but it's, it's, that's the challenge that industry has to solve. It's a very difficult one. Um, we have been addressing it in the sense of trying to provide a ubiquitous comms solution that sort of extends LMR more so than anything else. Because I think if you've got voice, you've got the first level of communications. And if you've got some broadband, then you've got the next level up where you can start moving data back and forth, sensor information and other things. And and it really is like a like a layer cake, right? Where it starts with critical comms voice, critical data, which is things like AVL positioning, things like, uh, you know, information about body, uh, information about sensors around you, and then eventually get to things like Netflix, like if you really want to get there, because you've got to kill the day. So, and there's really nothing going on. So, so th- the reality is really, how do you provide that in a architecture stack of importance based on the geographical area, as, as was described earlier, because yes, it's very different. Knowing one sector, I would somewhat disagree that you don't know others. It's just that ge- geographically, they're very different. Knowing one sector, you know one sector from a geographic perspective. Mm-hmm. But from an architecture perspective, it can be designed so it's across all of them at the same time. It's just, it's it's a big challenge. And, um, you know, in, in our case, we also deal with firefighters. This is something it's a whole nother angle where you're dealing with heat that's extreme heat and things like that. So all these little handsets water. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, it really is fascinating to see the same problem across the entire spectrum of federal, state, and local law enforcement that simply exists. And we're finally at a point because of AI and this massive amount of data that we've been talking about all day, it's causing the need of inform- if, of actionable intelligence that's needed for the officer in the field. That's Fantastic. All I Let's get to questions from the audience. Fire away. Um, microphone, go. And please wait for the microphone. Yeah, I do have a question for you guys on the communications aspect. I've got a family member. My dad uh, deals with uh, two-way radio communications for, you know, like law enforcement. And he's always making the case how while we continue to gravitate towards phones and LTG and LTE technology, he's saying that two-way radios 
is essentially the future in the sense that with limited broadband and complexities in the field with communicating, you know, often with radios you can use one hand to communicate with them. They're often more durable and you don't need broadband with it. So do you see more of a shift to developing two-way radio technologies with, you know, Border Patrol or ICE or any other agencies? It's a hybrid. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they both have to coexist. There's no, there's no way of them not coexisting. Two-way radios cannot provide you the capacity. They're 13 kilobits per second. 30 years ago, delivered 13 kilobits per second. And 30 years from now, we'll deliver the same 30 kilobits per second. It's not a technology issue. It's a physics issue. So you can only do so much. If you want the range and the coverage, you're stuck with that. So the problem is the more data you put on there that's more than 13 kilobits per second, which is mostly your voice, you need to do broadband. So they need to coexist. Thank you. Hi, Luke. Hi, team. Hey, Michael Saunders with uh, GDIT. I want to talk about uh, infrastructure in the southern border environment. And if I put myself in Zahn's shoes as an enterprise architect, my, my view of architecture for infrastructure might be very different if I think of myself as the United States government versus simply the Border Patrol or CBP. Uh, back in 2022, Luke, you may remember, OCIO came down to San Antonio at the, uh, the Border Patrol Expo and briefed some initiatives to... Uh, help CBP extend the DHS network into the southwest border environment by leveraging the other federal facilities that are co-located at times in the AORs. Think about Department of Justice, DEA. Uh, can you give us an update? Have, have any of those activities led to, to progress? Is there any opportunity to think about a whole of the federal government approach to the southwest border infrastructure problem? Um, I don't know. I, I can. I can. Is address. there a federal, uh, uh, a non-first net federal net out there somewhere? <laughs> so, so far up to today, I'm not aware that uh, there is one because um, Department of Justice, DEA, and DHS, and maybe CBP, we all have different sensitivity of data. We all have different sensitivity on the network. So, making it a one net. Um, would require um, a, a, to solve a lot of these security issues. So um, law enforcement likes to keep their data separate from other agencies. You know, I, I do know that CBP keeps their data very, very secure uh, and, uh, and also DHS. So, so I have not seen and I am not aware that there will be that there is one today. So just to answer your question, it's, the, the reason is because everybody wants to keep their um, uh, uh, <coughs> data and infrastructure secure in, in their own way. So okay. do we have time for a couple more questions? Okay. Got one up here in the front. Thank you, because you, you set a perfect context for what we're rapidly approaching called TACOM 3. Multi-agency contract dealing with all the diversity, open architecture, form factor, etc. Looking at TACOM 1 and 2, you had Motorola, <laughs> U.S. Air Force, six other agencies. Now they're coming up for an MAIDIQ renewal, and we would love in industry to have an industry day to really discuss this landscape because it's rapidly coming upon us. 
And this is exactly, you've highlighted all the problems that are attendant here. So, you know, just on the industry side, love to have this conversation because it's ripe. So that's a formal ask out there to CBP for a uh, an industry day to, uh, to to take it to the next generation. Any other questions? I wanted to give each of the panel members 30 seconds, final thoughts. Start with you, Sean. So I really um, want to thank you for uh, having me today. Um, I learned a lot. And then, uh, you know, I would definitely bring a lot of these insights back. Uh, the particular thing is, is I, I really like to be partnered with the industry because I think there's a lot of innovation out there that we can learn and, and, and we can uh, take back and serve the, the, the mission. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here and, and be part of this challenge. Um, it's it, it's it's. It's been a challenge. It's going to continue to be a challenge. Comms is not going to go away. Uh, I think there's more of getting together, more thoughts that need to be shared to be able to actually achieve a common goal, which is ubiquitous connectivity. Um, we're part of it, but everybody else is part of it too. So it needs to be needs to be talked more and more about it. Yeah, I mean, again, appreciate the opportunity to do. I mean, we, we've talked about generative AI, the benefits that'll bring, making a border agent more efficient, more effective, and safer. But a lot of that does think about that communication, the backbone, and how you're structuring your data, and the policies that underpin that. So I think those challenges are really on us to try to help collaborate and solve because that's really how you're going to bring some of that to the tactical edge uh, moving forward. But appreciate. It. Yeah, same here. I uh, really appreciate the time and opportunity to come and talk to you all. Um, I really think, you know, um, the industry has been making tremendous uh, impact into our operations and we've been making strides with communications, but, you know, continue to work on that and help us with that. Um, compatibility, shared situation awareness, interoperability are, is, is tremendously important. So thank you. Yeah, so I think we've actually done a little bit of a discovery session here today where we've identified identified two separate workflows. Um, connectivity is not guaranteed, so we have to plan for that. That's right. We have to plan for disconnected scenarios. Now, is that a situation to where our officers are being equipped with different kit when they have to go into areas where there's going to be no connectivity? or And also, for the connected areas, can we plan for different functionality, different capabilities to be available Right. So then those officers that are working in disconnected environments can say, hey, actually, I need to get back. But I still have my disconnected capability available to me to serve the mission. Um, so I think that's important because the, the connectivity, even when we get to that state where connectivity is everywhere, there's always room for failure and our officers need backup. Absolutely. And before I forget, one last item, Eric, uh, if if the uh, if the community here would like to reach out to you. Uh, to the invent team, get be involved in some of these prototypes, et cetera. What's the best way for them to participate? What's the best way for them to obtain information? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so we we right now we do have a business connection portal that we utilize where where folks can can uh, can reach out and um, register, and we can have an opportunity to connect. I think that's probably the most efficient way to do that. Um, other than that, just be on the lookout for, for those opportunities and solicitations that may come out through, through RFPs or, or other means. Don't forget what Mr. Raglan said about the foundation. I, that's super important. Don't forget what I said about public service. I assure you it takes great and you'll never regret it. With that, thank you very much, panel members. Thank you for tuning in. 
you can follow HSDF the podcast on any major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Thank you.